Um, Philippians chapter 2 this morning, I will read verses 14 through 30. Let me ask uh, if you're able to uh, stand together as we read God's Word. I'm actually going to back up to verse 12 just for the context. I therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be poured out, be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would teach us now. Use this, your word, to conform us more and more into the image of Christ. For it's in his name that we ask. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I'm sure that some of you will be surprised by this little tidbit of information. Some of you will probably um, not expect this to be true, Um, but here it is. I'll tell you anyway. Uh, I'll I'll let the cat out of the bag. I don't have a gym membership. I don't don't go to the gym and work out. I, I don't spend any time at all. Um, I lifted weights once. They were in my way. See, that, that's kind of my approach to working out. Uh, I don't have a gym membership. There was a time, however, that I did. Um, I, I was in high school running track and cross country and, and playing some soccer and that sort of stuff. And, and 
you know, not every school had a great workout facility and certainly didn't have, you know, weight training as an actual class in school as some of you do. Um, so I and Brett, and I can't for the life of me pull up Brett's last name. I, I feel like it started with an I almost, I feel like I'm so close. But I remember Brett and I ran some in the summer trying to get ready for cross country and track and all that sort of stuff and went out and would run miles and miles and miles um, before school started. And we joined the Y together. And when we joined the Y, we went into the workout room and they've got a, a, a trainer guy there and we told him who we are and what we were doing and what we wanted to do and what we hoped to accomplish. And he put together for us a, a workout plan. And see, this was before, you know, everything was on an iPad, and so it was on this stuff called paper, and you would go to the Y, and when you went into the room, you grabbed your chart, your piece of paper out of the file box and kept it with you, and when you went through your workout and checked off what you did and kind of made a note of how much weight and how many reps and that sort of stuff. Um, what made that work well was having a plan and having a partner. Paul in this passage, on the heels of telling us to work out your salvation, he says, now, let me give you a workout plan. And let me give you some workout partners. Let me give you a plan for what, what working out your salvation with fear and trembling might look like. And along with this plan, let me also give you some partners that you might work out with, some people to watch, some people to, to emulate, if you will. You remember in the, the larger context, Paul planted this church in Philippi some probably 12 years prior to writing this letter. He's writing to the saints. We're told back in, at the beginning of chapter 1, he's writing to the church, to the believers, to those who profess their faith and trust in Christ and Him alone for their salvation. He's writing to the church in Philippi. He has, there has been some sort of conflict. There's been uh, some sort of, of um, conflict within the church. People seem to be demanding rights and privileges. They seem to be grabbing hold of claiming certain rights and, and privileges because of something in them. In fact, Paul will later on in this letter actually call out to people by name and urge them to repent, to, um, to agree together, to restore and, and repair that relationship. There's, in this context, Paul has has commanded us to, to a life of humility towards recognizing that we should do nothing from our own vanity, from our own conceit, from our own arrogance, but we should instead approach the Christian life with humility, considering others better than yourselves, to use his language earlier in this chapter. He points to Christ, who, though the eternal Son of God didn't so hold on to that that he wouldn't go to the cross simply because he didn't hold on to those rights. He, he was willing to set those rights and privileges aside in order to, because of his love 
for us to take on flesh and go to the cross. A couple of commentaries sort of use the image of of people strutting around the church with their proud peacock feathers. You know, the only apparent point of those brightly colored feathers on the male peacock is to get attention of other people. And so there were people, it seems, in the church in Philippi strutting about with their proud peacock feathers to steal the the illustration from a couple of different commentators. The Gospel says... You don't seek your own honor. You don't seek your own glory. You instead seek the good of others. You look to the interests of others rather than self-promoting and detention-seeking. It's in light of that that Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then in verse 14, he gives us a workout plan. Working out your salvation will go better if you have a plan. It'll go better if you have partners. Notice, first of all, verse 14, Paul's plan for working out your salvation involves joyful submission. Notice he says, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I'm not sure the words need definition. In some ways, the words, the definitions overlap, surely. But you know the difference. You, you know what it means to grumble and dispute. So when you read, do all things without grumbling or disputing, you immediately know exactly what he's saying. That, that sense of walking away, muttering, grumbling, sort of under your, under your breath, but not quite under your breath because you do it just loudly enough to make sure people hear you so that they know that you're frustrated. You ever watch the Wacky Races cartoon? Muttley the dog was sort of known for his grumbling. His master, Dick Dastardly, would give him instructions and he would... What? And he would turn around and kiss his master's hand. He walks away with under his under his breath that that sort of grumbling voice that's grumbling it's it's when you sort of argue about whatever command or instruction or assignment you've been given but you kind of do it to yourself that that's grumbling that's the idea that Paul has here But when you begin to voice that complaint to others, when you recruit other people with you, that's disputing. That's the, the arguing. That's the part that the second half of that phrase, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Sometimes we actually, okay, sometimes we walk away under our breath. And sometimes we turn around and go, but, 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 I don't want to. Or that sounds terrible. Or, boy, you sure are being mean to me. That We, we dispute. We argue back. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or disputing. You know, the reality is what's in our hearts comes out of our mouths. What you have in your heart comes out of your mouth. And so when you grumble, when you dispute, what you're simply saying is 
that deep down inside of me, I don't want to do that. In fact, probably deep down inside me, I think you're being, at the very least, you're being mean and hateful and you don't really love me. You don't really care about me. You really don't want what's good for me. You're being oppressive. You're being mean. You're being overbearing. We're expressing that when we grumble and dispute. That, that's, that's what the Israelites, that's why we read Exodus 16 a few minutes ago. The, did you notice? It almost got cumbersome the number of times the word grumbling showed up in those 12 verses. We heard your grumbling that you grumbled against God. I mean, well, I mean, of course grumbling is grumbled against somebody. I and mean, that's, you know, why say it twice? Well, to call attention to the fact that that's exactly what Israel was doing. You brought, us, you brought us out of Egypt, out here in the wilderness, and you're just going to kill us. We'd rather go back to Egypt because you know what? There were meat pots and there was bread to eat. And the VeggieTales runs through my head. We were in slavery. I'll take the slavery because there was meat and bread. Out here, I've got nothing. And even Moses and Aaron saying, you're not grumbling against us. We didn't bring you out here. You're grumbling against God. You're looking at God and saying, you really don't want my good. You really don't love me. You really don't care about me. Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, mind you, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Parents, um, you need to recognize the application here. I mean, without going any further whatsoever, what are we teaching our children? What does obedience mean? What does obedience look like? It's prompt, complete, and joyful. If it's anything other than that, if it's anything short of that, if it isn't prompt, if it's delayed obedience, that's not obedience. If it's half-hearted, incomplete, that's not obedience. If it's not joyful, it's not obedience. Because what you're saying is, in my heart, okay, I may do it. You're reminded of the kid in class whose teacher said, now class, stand, and the kid didn't want to stand. And she said, now, I said stand up, and he didn't want to stand. I said stand up, and finally he stood up and he said, I may be standing on the outside, but I'm sitting on the inside when we look at God or when we look at our parents and say, I, I don't like doing this, your heart is somewhere other than in submission to God. Obedience should be prompt, complete, and joyful. That would stand out, Paul says, in the world in which you and I live. You and I have this notion that our world is getting darker. You and I have this notion that sin is becoming more rampant and the, dark, the world is getting darker and darker and darker. Keep in mind, Paul's writing in first century Roman Empire. That's pretty dark. It, it was a, a dark time and a dark place. What happens, those who live in joyful submission to the commands of God, well, 
he tells us. They shine like stars. They shine like lights in the world. Verse 14. Yeah, we would stand out. We would stand out in a world if we lived in joyful, humble submission to the commands of God. Because the world around us is saying, live for you. It's not saying live for the interests of others. It's saying live for you. And then they want to say live for the interests of others when it suits their interests. Scripture says live to honor and glorify Christ. Live for others. Why? Because that's what your Savior has done. That's what your Redeemer has done. That's how you have a Redeemer at all. Was that He would say, I'm going to put their interests above mine. We put their needs above my own. Paul urges us to joyful submission, to do all things without grumbling or disputing, and we will shine like stars in a dark world. The, the darkness out there, maybe we know more about it. Maybe it's, it's on... 24-hour news and, and hits Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and Facebook and every other social media outlet within seconds. And so we, we know the darkness more. We may be more aware of the darkness. But, but you know, if I want to see the stars, I don't come down here to the square at night. I go way out where there, there is, are no city lights. I go way out where it's darker because the darker the night, the brighter the stars. Paul says, your workout plan, if you're going to work out your salvation, your plan involves joyful, humble submission. But it also involves sacrificial service. Paul, it's possible. He's in prison. He's in Rome. Now, it's, it may very well be house arrest, but he's chained to, uh, to Roman guards 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That, that's prison. Okay, maybe it's house arrest. Maybe it's not the, the deep, dark, dank prison that you and I picture in our head. But that's prison. He's in prison. He's awaiting trial with Caesar. He's appealed to Caesar. He's a Roman citizen. He has that right. He's, he's appealed this trial to Caesar. And he's waiting for the trial to happen, for I don't know, for Caesar to take the time to hear the case, for the lawyers to build their case, it is entirely possible that Paul won't walk away from this. It is entirely possible that this will mean Paul's death. And he recognizes that. He recognizes that he may end up being nothing more than a drink offering, verse 17, poured out upon the sacrificial offering of the Philippians. In other words, they have offered a sacrifice, not an animal sacrifice. Their lives, even he said in verse 12, as you always obeyed, so now not only... In my absence, but in my not only in my presence, but also in my absence, 
work out your... So that he recognizes a, a, a desire for obedience. They have offered a sacrifice to Christ and to Paul by sending Epaphroditus to Paul to visit him in Rome with gifts, uh, a jacket, some food, some book. I, we don't know what they brought, what he brought. But he ministered to Paul. He, it's their sacrificial offering offered to Christ, to Paul. And Paul says, even if I'm poured out like a drink offering, there's a, a morning and evening sacrifice in the Old Testament, and a drink offering was poured out along with that. You, you, you pour out water, you pour out the end of the, the coke that's been sitting there entirely too long. You pour out that last drop of coffee that just got cold. You can't get it back. There, there's no way to recover that. You can't, you can't go back out and scoop the water up out of the dirt and separate the liquid from the dirt so that you now have water. You can't get it back. Paul saying, I may very well be a drink offering poured out on top of your sacrifice, added to your sacrifice, I may very well lose my life in this. Yet, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. In fact, you too should be glad and rejoice with me. You can sort of trace the thought this way. Paul ministered the gospel to the church in Philippi. He planted this church a number of years ago. Uh, he ministered to God, the gospel to them. The gospel produced faith in these Philippian believers. Offered, they then offered their bodies as living sacrifices to God and showed that by sending to Paul gifts. If Paul were to lose his life, as a result of this trial, his life would merely be the drink offering poured out on top of that. Not really adding to. An offering to God, yes, but not really improving on or adding to what the Philippians have already done. But in an, an unrecoverable, irrecoverable, you can't get it back way. I'm not sure which way the right word is. The Philippians have offered this Sacrificial service to God, verse 17. And Paul is willing to do the same even if it means his own death. Working out your salvation needs a plan. Working out your salvation also needs a partner. Notice Paul commends in verses 19 through 30 two people, two men, two people who have partnered with Paul in gospel ministry. They've served right alongside him. And in fact, Timothy he commends for his joyful submission. Epaphroditus he commends for his sacrificial service. The exact same plan that he just gave us in the previous verses. You know, these days we send our kids to school. Um, and they learn whatever they learn. And they grow up to be whatever they grow up to be. They don't necessarily automatically follow in dad's footsteps. That was not the case 
in Paul's day. Back then, everybody grew up doing what their parents did. And so they would, they would study right alongside with their father, and, and Jesus learned carpentry. In fact, in um, Mark, I think it is, uh, I think it's Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus is proclaiming, it, preaching in the synagogue, and the people around him are going, isn't this the carpenter? Like, he became a carpenter like his dad Joseph, right? I mean, that's who this guy is, right? That's, that's who we, we're hearing now. You grow up, just you become whatever your dad was. If, you're, if your dad was a carpenter, you became a carpenter because you learned the trade as you grew up. Timothy is described as a son learning gospel ministry, as it were, from Paul. Serving right alongside him. He was there when the church at Philippi was planted in Acts 16. He was a, a part of the mission team that planted this church. They knew him. He knew them. And Timothy is commended here as one who serves joyfully and, and willingly. Joyful submission, following alongside Paul every step of the way. Participating in gospel ministry with Paul. Planting this church at Philippi. And now there with Paul, serving Paul. Paul's in prison. Timothy is not. Timothy is, is able to move freely and, and serve Paul and bring him things that he needs and bring him information and news. He wants to send Timothy back to Philippi, but he says, I can't because I need him. I really want to send him. Notice why he wants to send him. Verse 19. I want to send Timothy to you because I know that he'll come back with good and right and accurate information. I want to send him to you so that I may be cheered by news of you. I want him to, to come and visit and minister to you and then bring news back to me. But he needs Timothy there with him. He reminds the church in Philippi of Timothy and says, remember his joyful submission both to me and to Christ. Instead, he sends Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is one of them. He's, he's from the church. He was their messenger. He's Paul's brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but their messenger, the one who brought gifts, goods to Paul in prison from the church in Philippi, he's the one that could walk in the room and go, your brothers and sisters, Lydia, the, the Roman centurion, the Philippian jailer, the slave girl and others, we all got together and pitched in. We brought you, here's the money you need to pay for your trial. Here's the, some food that you need to sustain you. Here's some, uh, a jacket because we thought you might get cold. What, whatever the case may be. He was so committed to carrying out this service to Christ, to Paul, to the church in Philippi that he almost died. He got sick and almost died. And, and Paul knew that the church in Philippi got information about that. Epaphroditus is worried sick because he knows that the church in Philippi is worried sick because he's sick. And it's that that drives him to care for the church in Philippi. I've done 
what I'm supposed to do. I've brought the gifts, but I really want to go back to my people in Philippi so that they'll know I'm fine. I care enough about them that I want to go back to them so that they will know that things are fine with Paul and that I'm well and we can all rejoice together. Think about it a second though. You have a a dear friend who's about to embark on a missionary journey. They're going to take a mission trip. They're going to someplace dangerous. They're going to the kind of place that you, you can be killed for loving Christ. They're heading to a, a Muslim country. They're heading to, to somewhere in the east. They're, they're going to somewhere in, in, in parts of Africa where, where if, if you proclaim Christ... If you say, I love Jesus, they kill you on the spot. What would your advice be? I'm not sure that's a good idea. I mean, that sounds really dangerous. I'm not sure you should go. I mean, do you really want to run the risk of losing your life to, to serve Christ in that part of the world? Do you know how difficult gospel ministry is there? Paul says, I have Epaphroditus with me. I'm going to send him back to you. In fact, he's carrying the letter, probably. He's probably carrying Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and others as well. He almost died. So committed to me and to Christ and to bringing your gifts, was he? That he was sick. Yeah, he was sick. He wasn't just a little sick. You heard he was sick. He wasn't just a little sick. I can tell you now that I'm sending him back to you and he's carrying the letter, I can tell you he was close to death. Commend, he commends Epaphroditus to them. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ. How often do we want to look at people and go, I just think that's a little too crazy. I just really don't think you should do that. You, you'd be in danger. You could lose your life. You could, this is a dangerous place to go. Couldn't you do missions in some place like, you know, I don't know, South Alabama, where you're not necessarily going to lose your life, but they need Jesus too. I, I, Hawaii, okay, they won't kill you there, but they need Jesus too. We would steer people away from this. We would steer people away from sacrificial service for Christ. And Paul says, I commend to you this man, Epaphroditus, who was willing even to die. Sickness, disease, whatever the case may be. Now notice, Paul gives us a a plan for working out our salvation. He also gives us partners for working out our salvation. A model, an example of joyful submission and sacrificial service. I feel obligated to remind you the Bible isn't about us. I feel obligated to remind you that the Bible isn't about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And, and it's, it's dangerous sometimes when we stand here and go, can I really preach a sermon that says, be like Timothy, be like Epaphroditus? But Paul writes 
this passage to set them up as models for us, to encourage us, to show us, A, this can be done, and here's some examples of, of how to use the words of D.A. Carson. He says, this passage tells us to emulate worthy Christian leaders. But notice, verse 17 Notice that the Philippian church offered this sacrificial service out of faith. It is not service that gains them favor with God. It's service in response to favor with God. They have faith in Christ They trust in Him and in Him alone for their salvation. So they respond with, well, Christ sacrificed His own life. He gave up the the rights and privileges. Rather than strut about with His proud peacock feathers as the eternal Son of God and say, no, I'm not going to take on flesh. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to bleed. I'm not going to hang on a cross. I'm not going to be buried for those people. I'm going to care more for my interests than for theirs. Jesus didn't do that. And if you trust in Him and in Him alone for your salvation, Paul says, Christ in you, your faith and trust in Christ drives us to do that as well. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, You can't sacrifice like this apart from Christ. Apart from salvation in Christ alone, apart from from the changed heart that the Holy Spirit gives us, we will care only for ourselves. We'll care more for ourselves than we will for others. It's only in Christ. It's only through faith in Christ that we can have be empowered by His Word and by His Spirit. to joyful submission and sacrificial service. May God grant to us the grace to do just that to each other, to His saints here in Athens, and even to unbelievers that they might come to faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us a clear plan for working out our salvation with fear and trembling. You command us, you you show us, you teach us from Paul's words that you wrote that we're to do all things without grumbling and disputing. We should... We should live lives of joyful submission and sacrificial service. Father, we pray that You would now, by this Word, carried by the power of the Holy Spirit, through Your grace and mercy working out in our lives, that we would be conformed more and more into the image of Christ that we would get a glimpse of 
joyful submission and sacrificial service in our own lives and in the lives of others, all that we might give you the praise and the glory. That we might constantly point and say, that's not me. That's Christ in me. We pray all of this in Christ's name for His sake and for the good of His people and the lost. Amen.